Nice. What up, people? Welcome back to Beers with Buds. John here with my boy Justin. How are we doing this week, Justin? I'm good, dude. Do you think that beer cracking, that one hit? I don't know. I always forget that there's like a count in for recording. That was a good one. Okay. Yeah, it's hard to time. I always envision it being like the the Bush commercial where it cracks open and just goes Bush. Yeah. I always expect that, but it, it almost never happens when I open Bush cans. Maybe that's what happens really like. Yeah. I mean, I could probably find like a default beer crack clip to piece in there just for dramatization dramatization you're that's a pot that's an official pod word <laughs> it is where's your, where's your beer dude what are you drinking uh we are let's do a week first and then we'll go into to beers all right just hold it up at some point so i can see it okay all right <laughs> all right um, so big week super bowl was this week you lost some money yeah i did lose some money uh just just a case of beer to you right oh you didn't have any other bets out oh no i didn't have anything else going on yeah i'm not i'm not a i'm not a gambling man it wasn't a a very entertaining game if i recall correctly did you have a a good super bowl what what was what was your uh super bowl sunday consisting of um yeah so my mom was out here visiting this weekend and so super bowl sunday we actually went out and hiked Smith Rock that morning. We got out there pretty early before the crowds, and uh, the weather was super nice. It was pretty clear up top. There's a little bit of clouds, kind of windy, but um, that was pretty good. And then we came back and uh, made some buffalo chicken dip and watched the game at my place. Uh, yeah, it was kind of underwhelming. I mean, I was expecting a, a pretty dope Super Bowl, but I did not receive that. Yeah, definitely a lot of a lot of hype. A lot of Mahomes, Brady. It was hyped up to be this awesome. It just sucked that that I, I just felt like the Chiefs didn't have anyone to to guard their defensive line. Like their tackles were literally just like bull rushing in there every time. It seemed like. Yeah, I felt like Mahomes' default like drop back was him sprinting back away from tacklers. Like I saw that so many times where he was just automatically running backwards. It was literally, it was like the, did you ever play the video game NFL Blitz? Mm-hmm. On like N- N64, that's what it was like every time a home drop back. He's just fucking guys pancaking on him. Yeah. Yeah, it was tough. I don't know. I I saw like his injury, his toe or whatever started to kind of progress as the game went on. I don't know if that's like actually the pain he was experiencing or if the score had, you know, a little bit to do with that, but. I don't know. I, I was expecting a, a closer game for sure. Yeah, d- disappointing. I uh, I mean, I remember cheering last year, and I was excited last year. Like, oh, finally, fucking Brady's at Brady's done with the Patriots. Like, finally, it's over. And then the son of a bitch goes over in the NFC and wins it. Dude, that's that's wild. Brady now has more Super Bowls than any single franchise. Son of a bitch, man. He's crazy. Yeah, I don't, uh, and I don't think I don't think he's going away. I mean, I think if he wants to keep playing, by the looks of it, Tampa's got a pretty damn good team. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe some of their guys are getting older and they might have to rebuild a little bit. But 
They have kind of such a ragtag crew that like a lot of them are just lucky to be playing. I feel like there probably isn't going to be that much in terms of like renegotiating contracts or people getting paid. Like as long as age doesn't come into play, like I feel like those pieces will will probably stay there next year. Yeah, the path. Uh, not to make it about the Vikings, but the path path doesn't look good for. For my life goal of having the Vikings win the Super Bowl, or even just playing it, honestly, they haven't played it in my lifetime either. Yeah. Uh, I might yeah. just be a Denver. I just might be a Denver fan. I've thought about that too, converting. But as soon as we do that, then the Vikings will go to the Super Bowl and we'll look like jackasses. Yeah, I would never. I not for the Vikings. I wouldn't. Like I'm, I'm, I'm stuck to the Vikings for life. But the other Minnesota sports, I don't really care about. Baseball. Nah, Timberwolves, dude, get out of here. I'm oh, I've wasted <laughs> too much damn time. You know I'm a big I'm a huge NBA fan. I'm a big like, you know, I follow the whole league. I don't just follow like I don't even follow the Timberwolves cuz they're so fucking terrible. Yeah. The Nuggets are legit though. Yeah. Not a bad team to transfer to. Yeah, they're good. They're young. I'm a uh, I'm Jokic. I'm team Jokic for MVP. Yeah. Do you watch it? Do you watch it all, or is this? Am I having a one-man combo here? No. Yeah. I mean, I typically do. I haven't seen that many games this season, but um, mm-hmm. I've watched uh, a few of his highlights. Dude, Jokic is a freak. I compile. I compiled a, a list of you know when you talk about an MVP player, like if you could build the perfect player. Yeah. Um, and I found I found attributes on on Jokic that uh, compared to yours and yours and mine's game, I actually did it for quite a few of our of our classmates just for the yeah. pod. You oh, want to yeah? hear this? Yeah, go through it. You're gonna you're gonna watch highlights after this, and you're gonna see what I'm talking about. So, yeah. Jokic Jokic has Nate Oxley's post up game. Okay. He has he has the John Stoltenberg build and shot blocking abilities. Okay. He has the, the tenacity uh, for getting buckets and attacking like a young Cody Kirkpatrick. Uh, yeah. He can run the point. He can run the point like Andy Johnson. <laughs> he's got a, he's got a silky smooth jumper like Aaron Baker. <laughs> and uh, he he can he can crash the glass and get get boards like like your boy. Yeah, that's pretty astute. So he's like the uh, the best of uh, SHS 07 all rolled into one. Yeah, if we would have had him, it re- would really would have brought the team together. <laughs> we would have had a Nikola Jokic on our squad. We wouldn't have lost to Rushford in subsections that year. Yeah, we we signed up for the wrong uh, foreign exchange student. We really could have used him. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Live and learn. Um, yeah, we'll see. Den- Denver Denver Nuggets for sure would be my squad. I've never I've never been much into hockey, but yeah. Yeah, I, I once I moved out to Portland, I started going to quite a few Blazers games, and I have some Blazers gear. Try to uh, I try to root for the T Wolves still, but it's way easier to root for a team that is good and makes the playoffs. For sure, yeah, the Timberwolves are going to be terrible until what's it, what's the owner Glenn Taylor? Glenn Taylor. Until he actually gets rid of the team, they had it for sale. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, he's had it for sale a bunch of times over the last like 10, 15 years. He, he was they were trying to do or KG was trying to like get a group together to buy it from him, but I don't know what happened with that. I know that there's still like a lot of animosity there. KG won't come back to have his jersey retired. 
Yeah, there's some weird shit that happened when they brought him back. Um, they're gonna end up losing the team, dude. If they don't, if they if they keep being so terrible, like Seattle wants a team. Like there's a lot of other cities that would be way more successful than what Minnesota's doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And KG goes to Boston and gets a ship. That, that pissed me off so bad. Do you ever think about about Boston sports? How how Minnesota is literally a farm system for Boston sports. Like you think KG left the Timberwolves and went to the Boston Celtics, got a yeah. championship. Uh, big, poppy. big 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 poppy started with the Twins, went to the Red Sox. They finally got the World Series. Even I mean they didn't get a, they didn't get uh, they didn't get to host the or win the Super Bowl, but that year that the Patriots had Randy Moss there undefeated. He, again, yeah. another fucking Minnesota product. Yeah. Lucky them. As if, I, as if I didn't hate Boston sports enough. <laughs> right. Uh, unfortunate. Uh, all right. What else you got going on this week? Started, uh, started doing some tours, I hear. Yeah. I also got a new microphone. I don't know if, uh, if the longstanding listeners of of our podcast can hear hear me better but i got a microphone i'm legit now sounds, the real silky, deal. sounds silky smooth thanks dude uh yeah i had uh move move quickly on that tour idea that i talked about uh last week doing walking tours um i posted the pictures for it i think the day after we we uh shot the last pod or recorded the last pod and uh they told me it'd be like two or three weeks until they reviewed the the file and, and published my page and they did it after like three days and uh it went live and i had it posted for for ten dollars um so i had it i had it marked down because i sent it to you and i sent it to you know a handful of other homies to be like yo would you mind you know scheduling a tour you know we can do like a virtual thing if you want me to show you some nashville stuff i will uh, but leave me a review and then i told them i venmo him back Mm-hmm. Well, I did that, and then the next day, um, I had tours starting to fill up. Like people were booking it, and I'm assuming because it was so damn cheap, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I ended up having my first tour yesterday. Um, the afternoon, the afternoon one kept filling up, so I did a 2:30 to 4:30 tour, and I was, you know, I was semi prepared just from the experience, the previous experience I had, but like I had never you know, done a, done a walking tour, you know, I had walked it and kind of envisioned it a time or two, mm-hmm. uh, took pictures, but yeah, I ended up having a group of five for my first one and, uh, had a good time, man. I think I knocked it out of the park I and mean, everyone had a good time. The, it was a couple is very diverse, diverse first group too. So it was, uh, it was this Hispanic couple from Texas and I don't think she spoke very good English. Like she, she didn't talk much. He mm-hmm. asked a few questions and he was cool. Um, she didn't talk a whole lot. And then the other group was a, was a father and daughter, uh, from Chicago. And this guy was like super Italian, older dude who wore, who wore one of those, like not a baseball cap, but the, like the sun ones that go down, uh, camo Vietnam vet. And then the boyfriend was there and the boyfriend was redhead ponytail, like hipster and like tight jean jacket clothes. Oh, wow. and, then the, and then his girlfriend the girlfriend, also from Chicago, was a cop. It was like this tough-looking, like you know, badass chick cop. Um, so yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty uh, entertaining to, uh, you know, I try. I try to mold everyone together. You know, make sure everyone's kind of hanging out and having a good time. And it was definitely a an eclectic group of a lot of different opinions and stuff. So I yeah. started. I start the tour with uh, 
with like a couple statues. Like there's there's three presidents uh, that are from Tennessee. It's uh, Andrew Jackson, Andrew Johnson, and um, Polk, um, James Polk. And they all have monuments on Capitol Hill. So I was literally just kind of like tiptoeing through it, like make sure I'm not getting too political about anything because I could see there's a lot of like varying, you know, mm-hmm. political beliefs. So that's that's a battle of the job. But no, it was it was it was a lot of fun. I, I pretty much went as planned. You know, I'm definitely going to make some tweaks to it. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of cool. I actually got lunch with them uh, today. I was on my lunch break and I went across the street. There's a good barbecue restaurant i like the the old man was actually wanting to do he wanted to do like pizza pizza and beer tours in chicago so he wanted to uh you know pick my brain a little bit and then i had told him that we had this podcast and uh i wanted to talk to him he didn't give me a whole lot of information but i wanted to try and talk to him about chicago style prohibition stuff Mm. Uh, but he didn't he didn't really give me a whole lot that i didn't already know anyways yeah so you met him today for lunch uh yeah they had they they asked about it um towards the end of the tour um if i wanted to hang out like i get that a lot of times in my tours like yo you want to hang out like no not not really i got (laughs) i got a life at home like i don't really want to hang out (laughs) but they were they were pretty persistent about it and i i had a lunch break and i definitely wanted to make sure they left a good review you know and and they they were entertaining they were cool to talk to um so i didn't go out of my way you know i walked across the street from jimmy john's and and uh you know i had a beer with them so nice yeah yeah you'll you'll get some good reviews from them for sure yeah so by the end of the week you know with with the people i reach out to i should have about 10 reviews so if that doesn't get me jump started you know i don't know what will yeah it sounds like a pretty good group to cut your teeth on too yeah yeah it was cool a lot of fun so did you up your price like what's your normal price for that yeah, I'm still gonna kind of play around with it. They give you they give you different opportunities to run like promotions since you're a new you know business or experience. So I can run, and I get to set the price, but I can run it as like a 20% off promotion for like a new company to to gain tours and stuff. So I'm gonna play around with the prices, but I'll probably do 20 bucks. They take 20% of it, so mm. you know 20 20 bucks is actually 16. Gotcha. Per, per person. So I'm crunching some math. I'm figuring it out, but it's going to be fun. It's just crazy that I'm, I literally feel like I'm back in freaking school. I don't know if you feel that way from the research you did this week, but the prohibition research and then, and then getting everything ready for this tour, I was like, man, I'm just like every day, you know, hit my laptop and making notes and writing stuff down for all this stuff. So, and now to think that in three months, I got to do all this shit for Denver. <laughs> yeah, dude, you got to do your homework if you want to be a good guy. Yeah, I guess so. I slacked off, I slacked off enough in high school that I need to make up for make up for it for my educational levels right now. <laughs> Especially yeah. that you're getting me you're getting me on record for two hours a week. So Yeah, for sure. You want to sound like you at least halfway know what you're talking about. Yeah. Or just know know when to stop talking. You know, that's kind of my thing. I'm like I just keep rambling on things I don't know. Well, I mean it's a podcast. You're supposed to ramble. That's what people tune for. <laughs> That's true. Nice. Um, yeah. So that was that was pretty much pretty much the uh, summary of my week. Just getting ready for that and uh, excited to do this pod. We went a little we went a little longer with the Super Bowl. Um, you got anything to report from your week? Your week? Did you did you stick with the uh, snowshoeing on Tuesdays? 
Yep, snowshoeing on Tuesdays. Yeah, so my mom was here this weekend. She left Monday afternoon, and so I took Monday off work. Um, and then I'm leaving tomorrow on vacation, uh, which I'll talk about more in a little bit. And so I really only have two working days this week. And so uh, yesterday and today have just been kind of a blur of meetings and trying to get stuff done. Uh, but yeah, I went out snowshoeing last night. Uh, it was super cool. Uh, we actually didn't even take snowshoes. Like the snow was good enough. We just hiked through it. Um, went out and cooked some food and drank some beers and some whiskey. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I, I told Anthony this today. I feel like I don't get enough drinking reps in anymore. And so typically Wednesday mornings after that snowshoe uh, trek, I'm pretty, uh, pretty under the weather. <laughs> Uh, I think it's the combination of like mis- mixing whiskey with beer. Uh, I gotta, I gotta quit doing that. Yeah, I mean, and and it's you know, kind of strenuous, right? Is it a stroll out there? How do you, how do you, what would you translate it to in like a hiking terms or? Um, it's yeah, it's not a bad hike at all. Um, especially like last night, it wasn't icy. The snow was pretty soft. It wasn't like too soft where you'd sink in. So. I mean, probably just like a casual walk uphill. It wasn't too bad. Okay. Uh, it was definitely the alcohol combinations that had me had me feeling under the weather. Uh, but it's been like that the last like few times I've went, and I think it's because we're just mixing like bourbon and all different types of beers and shit. We just kind of randomly grab what's in our fridge and take it out there. Um, so maybe got to be a little more mature. Pick either whiskey or beer. Or uh, spread them out a little bit more. I don't know. These are these are problems that you have to account for as you get old. It's it's how. Oh, I'm I am well aware, my friend. We were we were we were both feeling it in this household. Um, you know, going into the Super Bowl and then after, just kind of hanging out. I mean, we ate so much too. Like I don't know about you. You said about chicken dip, but like we we cooked ribs. I made mac and cheese. I made cast iron mac and cheese, and we were like. We had all the dips, all the snacks. It was good. It was a good day, but yeah, Monday I was definitely moving pretty slow. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, typically like from Thanksgiving to around the Super Bowl, it's just kind of like a wash in terms of healthy eating. I feel like you can you do good for a while, and then Thanksgiving comes along, and then Christmas comes along, and New Year's, and then the Super Bowl. Um, so yeah, I, I we we had a bunch of buffalo chicken dip. We made some other things like some smaller sides and stuff. But yeah, I uh, I was definitely feeling a little slow that next day too, and that one was because of food. Yeah, all all kinds of hangovers happening on this podcast. <laughs> all different types. It's hell getting old. Yeah, you don't discriminate at this age on what kind of hangover they come in all forms. <laughs> that they do what uh oh speaking of the the podcast last week we did about avalanches do you remember you see that link i sent you about the one in the in the himalayas that broke loose yeah that was pretty nutty i watched the video um that was crazy how many people died like 12 people yeah i was gonna ask you i think i think it's more than that I, i feel like it's triple digits that were at one point missing i don't know if they've you know completely uh identified everything but yeah wild yeah, no, I saw that was what was that Sunday? Whatever you sent me that article, it was 12 dead and yeah, like 105 or something missing. Um, and then I saw a video of the actual um, dam breaking. And so what it was is this uh, glacier uh, in 
northern India, a piece broke off of it and caused this massive avalanche. And uh, it was just flowing through this river valley, just crashing through dams, busting them apart and releasing water along the way. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I saw the video of the of it breaking through one of the dams. I saw a video of people digging some guy out of a hole. He was like buried for a while and uh, it, it was just nutty stuff. Um, it was it was kind of weird. Like it literally happened right after we talked about like avalanches. <laughs> yeah, and they, they they attribute it to, I mean, I feel like you can attribute anything to climate change now, but they, they said it was, it was an obvious byproduct of just melting, right? And just broke loose. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, I mean, that's not the first time that that's happened. It's probably not going to be the last. Uh, I was actually, I think it was last week when we were out snowshoeing, I was talking to Anthony about something related to global warming. And uh, he said growing up in Alaska, like he could see this glacier from his place and he can distinctly remember it being bigger as a kid. And now like it's kind of over this mountain ridge and now you almost can't see it all at all just because it's shrunk so much over the years yeah i definitely le- i left alaska with a with a new understanding of the impact of of climate change like it was definitely like you you see it and you feel it you know when you're there and especially if you speak with someone like anthony or people who have lived there their entire lives like yeah it's you know it's pretty drastic when you you know scope it out in like 20 30 years there was a there was a glacier in Canada when I was driving back. I don't remember the name of it. I have to, I'd have to look it up. Um, but you drive to it and you go in the parking lot and then you literally have like a, I don't think I'm exaggerating by, by saying a mile. It's probably a mile long uh, walk that you take to get up to the foot of, of the glacier. Mm-hmm. And as you're walking that, that mile stretch, um, they have they have different um, signs up along the way with different years on them. So like when you're right at the parking lot, you start at like I don't know BC, like it's it's it w- old, like how far it's down there. But as you get up, you start getting closer and closer, like 1700s, 1800s, and then it just goes like boom, 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 boom. When you start in like the 1900s, like how much faster it expanded, you know? So yeah, that's it's trippy. Cra- it- yeah, it's 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 really crazy. Um, yeah, Alaska, Alaska's wild. Yeah, it's getting beat up from that shit. Um, I don't know. It sounds like like we've already had some major um, steps taken and initiatives put in place uh, with Biden to kind of combat global warming. So I was excited to see that. I mean, it makes it feel a little bit a little bit better. But at the end of the day, I feel like you're trying to you know put a band-aid on a fire hydrant as far as like how fast it's changing and you know i want to be i want to be optimistic too but it's man it's, it's crazy i mean i wonder what in our lifetime not even in our lifetime but then in the next 10 to 20 years all the crazy shit we're going to see from climate change you know it seems it seems like it's here and moving faster than they, than they anticipated sad yeah to say. yeah very unfortunate i don't even want to think about it to be honest with you it is man it's hard to it's hard to <laughs> think about and comprehend and like yeah, it's heavy stuff. Maybe we'll, we can save that for a different podcast where we can shed some positive light on it. <laughs> but yeah, you, can yeah, def- well, you can definitely get overwhelmed with, uh, you know, negative feelings if you talk about it too much. 
Yeah, for sure. You've successfully bummed me out for this episode. Dang it! What do we, what can we do to turn the turn the turn the tide and get get us feeling better? <laughs> uh, no, well, I was gonna say, yeah, we could do that for like a research topic for one episode down the line too, if we really want to dig into it. I think that would be a good one to to take on. Um, but in terms of uh, this week, uh, yeah, so did all that stuff work today uh, and yesterday, and then tomorrow I'm taking off for. Denver. I'm going out to ride uh, Copper Mountain, and uh, I'm going with my buddy. And one of his buddies has a resort on the mountain that he got, uh, I think, for free, like through work or something. And so we have a ski and ski out condo. And my buddy calls me last night. He's like, "Yo, dude, I uh, I just want to let you know that I'm not feeling that great. I woke up this morning with like body aches and flu-like symptoms." Um, and he said he was going to go get tested and, uh, like let us know the results. I was like, oh shit. Okay. So I've never met this other guy. He's the one who has the condo. He's the one who's picking us up from the airport. Like without my buddy going, it's kind of just me and this, you know, basically stranger to me, um, shacking up in a condo together with a hot tub for uh, a long weekend. Um, and so he's like, yeah, I mean, it's still cool if you go, the guy's name is Chris. Uh, I guess Chris said like, it'd still be fun. Um, still go riding and stuff. But then he said, uh, he's like, I don't know what you think about it, but Chris said that if I, you know, went and got a test or if I still wasn't feeling better, he'd be okay with me still going. And I was like, so you think you might have COVID and you still want to go? He was like, yeah, if you're all right with it. I was like, well, I'm not. I'm not all right with that at all. I was like, I've made it this long without having it. I don't really want to shack up with somebody who who might have it. Uh, no shit. Yeah, it was kind of a, a weird. I was surprised that he, he said that or was considering it. Um, and so, yeah, I guess he, he went and got a test today, but he still hasn't gotten his results yet. And so basically he said if he wakes up tomorrow and feels like a hundred percent then he's just going to consider that it was like the flu or was just a cold or something and go but if he feels like any symptoms at all tomorrow then he's probably going to cancel um and so i get to uh i get to go to colorado and and hang out with one of his buddies for the weekend damn that's a crazy story you didn't tell me that on the phone you left some you left some details out i feel like i didn't realize uh so what are you gonna what are you gonna do if if he are you still gonna go or have you decided if he comes back tomorrow like are you gonna believe him or do you think he's just gonna? Uh, I I'm I'm like ninety five percent sure that he's not gonna go based on how he was feeling today. Um, and the fact what about that five percent? Well, the fact that I told him I didn't really want to risk it. Um, I don't I don't think he'll go. Um, okay. And so it's it's pr- I'm pretty sure it's just gonna be me and this. Uh, this buddy of his who uh, I've never met. He said he's a really cool dude. And I've met some of his other friends. So like, I'm not too worried about it. Um, he started a group chat today with us and uh, the dude's actually from Minnesota. He has a 952 number. Um, and so at the very least we could bash on the Vikings or talk about the shitty Timberwolves or something like that. But Oh yeah. It's, it's be, like, it'll be good. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. And he's um, I guess a pretty good skier. And so, We'll probably be out on the mountain most of the day anyway. Um, but yeah, it's like this super cool ski and ski out place right on the on the resort with a, a hot tub and everything. And so it's just one of those things that's like three people would be super fun. Two people, 
I don't know. It's kind of like I feel like a little bit more awkward. Yeah. Um, but it should be interesting either way. Yeah, we'll we'll be coming back for a recap next week on that. <laughs> yeah. I uh the like I said, the this was the first day that I've ever talked to him and it was just in that group chat. And uh within like six messages that he sent, uh four of them had South Park memes in them. So uh it should be quite an interesting trip. <laughs> wow. Meme meme game. Are you are you a, a memer? Is that what it's not- called? Yeah, I don't, I don't really do it that much, and I don't watch South Park either, so I didn't understand half of the, the ones that he was sending. But I mean, he seems like a cool dude. I think he's, uh, my buddy's 34, and so I'm assuming this guy's just a couple years older than us. They they went to college together. My buddy went to college out in Denver, so I think that's how they know each other. But yeah, I'm still gonna go. I'm all packed up. I got the time off work. My tickets bought um and i have a free place to stay so i can't really pass that up yeah that's gonna be cool yeah i'm uh did I'm you excited. uh what, what what happened with the passes so are you gonna go one day or are you gonna and then you guys are gonna trek around or is that still on the t- on um that's still up in the air uh, i actually haven't bought them yet um i'll probably buy them tomorrow but i'm for sure doing two days i might do a third um but daily lifts there are up to like 200 bones so it's a it's an expensive uh hobby out there and if i if i had to pay for the condo or for the the lodging where we're staying at then i would for sure only do two days but since i'm getting that for free i feel a little more comfortable paying for three days yeah no doubt uh, it's probably going to be pretty busy being a holiday weekend, but it's uh, it's a pretty big resort, so I'm excited to to see it. And I've never been to Denver before. Uh, we're not really going into town that much, from what I understand, but I'll still get to I guess see it from drive-by view. Oh yeah, isn't it? It's Valentine's weekend too. You guys are going to be <laughs> yeah. out there looking for love, dude. Uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna get drunk in the hot tub on Valentine's Day and just enjoy each other's company, I suppose. Yeah. What if he's gay? Maybe he is. I don't know. It's just gonna be in a hot tub together. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll get right. lucky on Valentine's Day. All all power to you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So That's, that was fun. Uh, Let's let's talk about the the OG van that we talked about. You said you had a good story, so I want I want, I want you to open up with uh, some gopher van stories. Uh, okay, you want to intro the van and like how it came to be? I wasn't really involved with the purchase or building of it at all. All right, yeah, I'll t- I'll take the I'll take the lead on it, and then I want to hear what uh, what you have reminiscent. Um, yeah. So for the listeners of the podcast, um, you hear us talk quite quite frequently about van conversions uh with sprinter vans uh in our adulthood but this this van journey um date dates way back to 2006 when we were in high school uh it was myself adam nelson Rubo, uh cody kapatrick and andy johnson that would go to we'd go to all the university of minnesota football games um we had six we had tickets from drew Bo's sister she would go get us vouchers um 
And then on game day, whoever shows up first, it's like first come, first serve for seats uh, in the student section. We had student section seats. So our this entire is when you were junior, in high school still? Yeah, this is our junior year. Okay. Um, so we had, a, a, we had just had our license. Or one of us had. I always had a consistent drive up there because it was kind of in that transition period. Um, but, yeah, we would always get up there, the first ones there in line, so we would get front row seats to be able to go to – the games like we'd be right on the right on the edge in the end zone of the student section and we had these big ass wigs on these afro wigs like one side's maroon the other side is gold and uh the five of us would be there every week in the front row for the entire season so like we were juniors in high school and we'd go on the <laughs> university of minnesota website and like we'd be in the front row on the website like <laughs> at the football games like fuck yeah like um so we were hyped. We were hyped on it at that point. I feel like when the newspaper ad came out, like we were super hyped on it. So that summer, going into our senior year, I think I'm telling this right. I mean, that would have to be the timeline. We'd be going into our senior year. Um, but that summer, we we bought this 1982 Ford Econoline uh, conversion van that was terrible, like four tone, you know, stripes, but like all the shitty colors are brown. It was the color of this van. Like it was disgusting <laughs> on the outside. Um, you know, it had some rust spots on it, had some good character. It was night, like I said, 1982. So it would have been 20 some years old. Um, and we bought it right outside of Austin for, I think 400 bucks or 500 bucks. So we all put in like 75 bucks or a hundred dollars to buy this van. And, uh, drove it drove it to adam nelson's house his dad had had those you know big machine shops and stuff that we could store it in and uh we didn't have to do any converting in it because the inside was already luxurious it had shag carpet from from floor to ceiling uh, <laughs> with a bed a bed conversion in the back and swivel seats like in the captain's chairs and the second row were all swivel seats and then you had a pop-in table so you could sit at the chairs around the table it was literally just like a perfect you know having beers hanging out in a van like the, those old those old 82 econo lines were fucking dope yeah um so we 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 did, gave it a paint job uh and painted it university of minnesota color so we had it it was the maroon base with like a gold under trim and we did some cool pinstripes on the hood and then put a putting green on the roof and then uh what else were some of the finishing touches? Ross ended up uh, getting in on it, too, getting in on it too. He had that big ass subwoofer that he had in his Dodge Stratus, and he he donated that to the van. So we mm -hmm. had like a huge, an awesome sound system in there. Um, and yeah, we pretty much just went. I mean, that senior year, we went to all the games, uh, all the Gopher football games, and uh, I don't know, it just kind of. I feel like it ended up being a part of kind of everyone's senior year in so many ways you know it was, it was just kind of a cool hangout and we'd fuck around in it all the time so yeah i yeah, remember that you guys bringing that to like uh you know like our football games and like pep rallies and stuff we'd just be like hanging out in that you know cut class and go out there for a little bit and just chill in there yeah that was, like was, a, that was, that was it fun. was a mobile hangout for sure. Yeah, I still I mean, I'm 32 years old. I still bring that up sometimes. Like if I see people wearing like University of Minnesota stuff, um, you know, strike up conversation but like, I got to tell you about this van. I show them pictures. Like, it's yeah, it's fucking cool. It was a lot of fun. So I wish you we had that I wish we wouldn't have sold it. I wish we would have held on to it. I mean, Nelly Nelly's dad had to store it, so I understand why we did sell it, but uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, it it could have been it probably wouldn't have been a bucket of rust by now, but 
Yeah. Um, so you guys, your senior year, you would then go up and like tailgate with that thing. Yeah. Which did didn't suck, but at the time we weren't like we didn't really take full advantage of it because we weren't we weren't drinking and stuff. You know, we were in the sports season, so like we'd go up there and hang out and grill out and you know play play cornhole and stuff. Um, but we were never really boozing out of it. But yeah, we would go up there and tailgate, and we'd we'd enter into the tailgate lot and like see if we could find a spot. And we'd have the subwoofer just fucking blaring, and people <laughs> would like people would be honking or we'd be honking as we drive through and get everyone's attention and get people hyped up. Like it was fun, and yeah. especially cause people were like, who are these fucking kids, dude? Like, yeah. Like yeah, I think I, Adam driving. I think, I think about I that now, with, and I'd be like, if I if I'd see like a sixteen year old in like a van or something, I'd be like, what the fuck? Who are these kids? Yeah, I think I came with you to at least one game, um, and yeah, I remember people just like wanting to come up and putt and check it out and like see the inside. It was uh, definitely a conversation starter. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. So what did I say? We five hundred bucks. We bought it from. I think we were like with with the paint job and everything like we were easily still under like 700 800 bucks but uh for the for the year and a half that we had it i think we uh probably spent that in oil because you had to, you, had, <laughs> you had to pull over every time like to throw oil into it yeah i do remember that you weren't we weren't getting we weren't getting miles to the gallon we were getting gallons to the mile with that fucking thing <laughs> especially we had it loaded down with 12 people most of the time yeah yeah, I remember, like, even, like, when it wasn't uh, football season, we would still just, like, take it out and go drive around just because it could haul so many goddamn people. That's funny. We, well, uh, I, uh, I, w- I wish we could share a photo on the – share photos on the podcast on Spotify. Like I can share a link. Do you have it, like, posted somewhere, or do you have that article? I'll find something. I'll, se- I'll send it to you. Cool. Drew, Drew Bo. Bo has all that stuff. He's got, yeah, because they did newspaper articles and shit about it. Yeah. I mean, in, 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 in our small town, you know, we weren't famous or anything, but. I mean, you were famous a in a small town. That's true. Yeah. Aren't there like uh, six country songs about that? <laughs> There's a couple. Uh, I remember one pretty interesting night. I don't remember what we were doing exactly. I think we went up to Rochester for something. And uh, we were coming back. And I don't know why, but I'm pretty sure we stopped at Pure Pleasure on the interstate. And then we went to uh, we went to the Quick Trip next door and got like uh, a couple packs of Swisher Sweets. And uh, so they're like, you know, like the little wood tip, like what are they, cigarellos or baby cigars or whatever you want to call them. So sorry, sorry to interrupt, but what, what's the setting? So the, the van's there. We were in the van. Yeah, we we're in the van. We went to Rochester and we were coming back. And who was driving? I, who, who, who do you remember? Who's no? Who, I mean, I think it was just a shared effort between you and Adam, probably. Okay. Um, I think I know Drew was there. Um, I think AJ might have been with us. Um, Pearson might have been there. I don't know. Just a real, real ragtag crew. Uh, <laughs> up to no good in Rochester. And I want to say that we were like there wasn't anything going on in Rochester, and so we were coming back to go to Austin. Um, but we stopped at that, you know, that little exit on I-90, uh, pure pleasure. I don't think, I think we just like went in to see if we could get in. Cause not all of us were 18 at that time. So we basically just wanted to see if we could like fake our way in. Sure. Um, but then we went across to the gas station, got the Swisher Suites and we're driving back. Um, side note, I think that's the same night where we pulled out of that 
parking lot. I think you were driving at this point. Oh, you great. Driving, you were driving down the wrong side of the interstate. You remember that? Oh, no. Are you sure it was the interstate? It, well, no, it was the highway that goes, like, over the interstate. It's okay, so, like, the, the service road. Still... still. Well, well, yeah, but it was still a divided highway. Like, it was two lanes on each side. And there was fucking yeah. cars coming at us. Yeah, that's true. All right, continue. <laughs> Do you remember that? No, you just, like... Because we were making a left turn, and so we had to cross the median and go to the other, like, two lanes on the other side. And you just pulled right into, like, the oncoming traffic lane. You're on the right lane of the two lanes of traffic that were coming at us. And uh, people were like flashing their lights at you and honking. And like we were, you know, talking and trying to light up the swishers and stuff. And so nobody was really paying attention. But we probably got like a couple hundred yards. And you're like, am I on the wrong side of the road? <laughs> and we just kind of like looked around. We're like, yeah, yeah, you're on the wrong side of the road, dude. There's like oh car, God. cars coming at us. You don't remember that? I mean, I don't know if I don't remember, if I remember just a different version of it. I feel like in my mind, and and this would hold up in court, I feel like, with a list of people that you said were in the van, I'm sure you guys were fucking with me, and I was nervous as shit, or you like you were going <laughs> to fuck with me, and I just made a mistake because I was scared of my surroundings. Yeah, there's that probably sounds more some, accurate to me. There's probably some truth to that. Um, but anyway, we were all doing the, the swishers. Everybody was partaking. Uh, I think we went to Austin, whatever, came back home. Uh, a couple days later, uh, I think Nelly was having people over to his house for something. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what it amounted to. He didn't tell me that I couldn't come, but he just said, like, to stay away from his dad. And I was like, why? What? I haven't talked to your dad in, like, a couple weeks. Like, what's going on? And he's like, yeah. He uh, he smelled smoke in the gopher van uh, when we came back the other night, and uh, I told him that you were smoking in there. <laughs> he fucking blamed it on me. He told his dad that I was smoking <laughs> in the gopher van. Cocksucker. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know if he ever, like, fessed up to him either, and so Bryce probably thinks I'm a smoker to this day. <laughs> That's hilarious. I don't think Adam saw that one coming. He's, he's got a couple things that he's nervous about us talking about. I didn't think he saw that one coming. That was a good, that was a good jab that you gave. <laughs> he has a right to be nervous. He was kind of a little asshole back then. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew the Jake Chappick thing. That was pretty funny. Yeah, that that one's kind of under the radar too. That was that was good. That was a good podcast release. I appreciate that. Yeah, I haven't talked okay. to him. Actually, speaking of him, he hasn't called. I, I think I have two. I'm two missed calls down on on Adam, so he he's he's ducking me. Yeah, well, he's probably been listening to this. Yeah, but no, that's my uh, that's my I guess you could call it fondest. That's the the Gopher Van memory that sticks in my head the most. Yeah, I think uh, I'd have to think more on it. I don't know. All those memories kind of like blur and in, blur into one. Just because it was, you know, it was such a cool experience. Mm -hmm. We definitely, had, we definitely had a good time uh, going up to all the, all the tailgates and all the games. I do remember when I was working as a, as a bag boy in uh, at Cashwise, one of my first jobs. Oh yeah, um, you and Baker worked there, right? I don't think I, I think ba I think Baker met him at High V. I think we were rivals. Oh okay. Because I don't, I don't remember any Southland, anyone from from our class or anything 
working at this one with me. But anyways, the memory that pops up to me for whatever reason is uh, when I skipped out on work to like I couldn't get everyone to cover my shift. And I was like, I'm not missing this game. Like, there's no way I'm not going to the game. Like, I don't, I'll, I'll lose this job before I miss it. Yeah. So I went and then I went up there and I, you know, I was, I was stressing about it. I wasn't as cocky as I am right now about it. I was stressing about it. I was like, man, they're going to, you know, what do I tell them? You know, what I, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, I think with, with help from some friends, we, we said, that you have food poisoning i mean they're not gonna say anything you got food poisoning so i text him and i'm like hey i'm sorry i'm really not gonna make it to work i think i have food poisoning like, i'm like really sick and uh they're like well you're gonna have to go you're gonna have to go to the doctor and get us uh, a doctor's note and i was just like uh i quit then <laughs> <laughs> and uh <laughs> And I came home, didn't have a job, so. You were on the phone with them, and, and you said that you like made a split decision right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's how dedicated I was to to van life at a very young age. So you you can see, you know, where I am now. Yeah, <laughs> you're diehard man. That's awesome. I and think I, I do remember that. If I kept that job, if I would have kept that job, I would have been set, dude. You'd probably be running the place by now. Yeah, you'd hope so. Stuck in Austin, Minnesota. Yep. Well, that's good. Yeah, I don't know. That that, that that's about it for my uh my va- gopher van stories for now. But I I, I thought it was uh when I sat down and made some notes for today's podcast, I was like, damn, we ain't even talked about it yet. It's episode five. We're we're a van life uh van life enthusiast podcast. So yeah, it's slightly embarrassing that we didn't touch on that yet. <coughs> All right, you want to do uh, do some beer reviews and then transition into prohibition? Yeah, let's go for it. You want me to go first, or are you going? Well, well, I want to do. So we, I don't know if the beers were like stronger than we anticipated, but we forgot to review the beers that we drank last week. So we gotta we gotta make up for that one. Um, I can't remember what you had. I can write it down in our little sheet here. But I had the uh, Black Lives Matter. Special edition boneyard stout called Black is Beautiful. Um, I've only had like maybe four or five stouts in my life. I don't drink them very often, but that one was pretty good. I didn't hate it. Uh, I gave that one a seven point six. Ah, okay. That's your. Is that your highest so far? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would drink. Yeah, I had. I had the Good People IPA with the had the yellow truck on it. Remember that? What did yeah. I end up saying? Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, yeah, it was either Alabama or Georgia. Yeah. Anyways, um, good beer. I gotta lie, I had had it before. After I bought it, I was like, should I've had this before, but mm-hmm. it was uh, it was nice. It was a good, easy going IPA. Uh, I'm gonna go seven point nine. Okay. Because my scale's been higher than yours. I've already been in the eights, right? Yeah. Yeah, you get an yeah. 8.6 and an 8.2. I'm I'm a little I'm a little picky. I don't I don't give out those high numbers that easy. You gotta earn it with me. Well, all right. I'm still I'm still calibrating. All right. It's just my ranking system. Sure. Yeah, it's gonna take a few episodes to feel it out. All right, you wanna do yours for this week? 
Sure. Yeah. I feel like you're going to want to go second. So I'll go first. <laughs> uh, I've got Blackberry Farm Brewery. They're, they're local. They're out here in Tennessee. Uh, this must be a small town. I never heard of it. So Wallen, Tennessee. Um, but it's a nice little hoppy Belgian style ale. So I like, I like kind of this crossover of uh, different types of beers where they're adding some, you know, a little bit more hoppiness to a Belgian style. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know. It's kind of got that. It's got a. It's got a strong taste to it, like a like a Belgian. You know, sometimes you have you're like, yeah, this thing's got to be like nine percent, ten percent. So it kind of has that like taste to it, but it's only six and a half percent. Um, but I like it. It's kind of like it's a cross between a Belgian and like an IPA. Gotcha. So, so you're doing it. Uh... Oh shit! I'm back to back on reviews. Ugh. Seven, seven, one. Not that impressive. Not that impressive. Okay. Um, yeah. So I had texted Justin this weekend. I definitely was way more impressed and uh, titillated by the idea than he was. But I thought since we were doing uh, prohibition this week, we could do like something prohibition themed. Uh, and so I. It kind of came to fruition because my mom was here and she was drinking these, and I had one leftover Odul's non-alcoholic beer. So, in spirit of prohibition, I thought it would be funny to review a, a beer with no alcohol in it. Um, it it's not great. Uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not very good at all. Uh, I wish it did have alcohol in it. I, I kind of regret this now. Um, but it's... It's a golden. I haven't had a golden for a while. Um, kind of makes me miss like Michelob golden from back home. Um, I'm gonna give it a five point five. It, it needs alcohol in it. Yeah. That sounds that sounds fair. That's a five five point five is good. It's not too embarrassing of a review, but you like you put it in its place. Yeah coincidentally that's about the uh alcohol percentage i would like to see in this but uh yeah, no dice does it I mean, does I, it taste does it taste skunky it's got like a skunky taste no it doesn't taste skunky it's just i don't know i feel like you can it's got like a weird aftertaste that it's not skunky it's just kind of strange i don't know i mean i guess if i was in a situation where I really didn't want to have alcohol, I would buy it. But I guess there's other NAs. I saw Budweiser has a new NA out. Um, Heineken. Heineken pushes theirs pretty hard. Do they? Yeah. I've had uh, I've had Michelob Ultra before, which is pretty close to uh, an NA. Drink like 47 of those to get buzzed. Yeah, we grew we grew up on we grew up on gas station rules gas station beers that's actually that's part of prohibition right there talking about i mean we we experienced it a little bit that's an old that's an old law that's still in effect you know what is it what was it in minnesota they sell three two beer three two beer at gas stations and then the the normal stuff you had to go to liquor stores for yeah i remember i remember having to pay different price like if people go and buy you beer like they buy gas station beer yeah but you had no room to bitch about it and i guess it's 
Thanks, man. Yeah, you you weren't making the rules. You were just thankful that somebody would buy you beer. Yeah. Who was your uh Who was your beer hookup back in school? <laughs> uh, this is funny. We text about this. I had I had a few. <laughs> I had a few that I that I hit up. Um, but my my biggest beer hookup in high school, you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, um, was actually the local. TV personality uh, who works who works at the, on the news, uh, one of the anchors. I don't remember if he did weather or not. Uh, to protect his name, because there's, there's one thing I want you to know about this story, is I'm not no snitch, all right? I'm not going to say <laughs> this guy's name and get him in trouble. Snitches get stitches. I believe that from day one. True. Uh, I'm not going to rat out my, my beer source, even though I'm 32 years old, and I don't know where this man is in life, but... Um, he he was a local local uh, news anchor, uh, Stu Larson. We'll call him. Um, he uh, he was friends, so he ended up. My brother knew him, um, and that's how I, that's how I met this guy. But he was like a party guy who happened to be a news anchor in Austin, <laughs> Minnesota. And uh, my brother met him through some through some friends, and they used to go on camping trips, like in Lanesboro and like all the different you know campgrounds around the area in the summertime and he was there one time and uh you know at the time you know we're 17 18 like i think this guy's cool as shit and maybe you know maybe if i meet him today i'd be like oh this guy is still as cool as i thought he was when i was 16 i don't know Mm -hmm. but uh he uh he was just like the party guy and and said he you know if if we ever need anything hit him up so i was like fuck it i'm gonna hit this guy up So yeah, he offered, I, dude. yeah, I mean, I was like, Hey man, I think you could, you know, the answer is no until you, until you ask. So I asked him if he could, uh, get us beer and it, and it turned into a normal thing. So it was, it was always fun in high school to be able to watch the news and see the newscaster and be like, that's the guy that gets me beer. That's pretty <laughs> fucking cool. Beer off that guy. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't always pleasant. It wasn't always pleasant experiences. There was one time I remember he he gave us, he went down in his, so we went to his house. We knew where he lived. He used to live like on County Road 3. You know, when you take that in where it intersects with, what's the other one? 218? Uh, like on the Rose Creek side? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. When you cross, when you cross three and like 56, I don't remember. I have to be there showing a map. Anyways, he, li- he lived like outside of Austin. So like, you know, we'd have to go there and pick it up sometimes. And one time he walked into the basement and literally brought us up like, like a moving box of probably like 60 beers in there. And we were all like, Holy shit. <laughs> that's a lot of fucking beer. Yeah. And he gave it to us and we were like, are you sure, man? You're just going to, it's like, yeah, guys, take it. It's whatever. It's no big deal. And I think we were at Walrick's place, and we went back to Joe's, and uh, we're drinking beers in his basement. And we start looking at him, and we're like, these fucking beers are ex- expired like six months ago. <laughs> 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 we drank them. Yeah, you didn't care. You had beer. Oh, yeah. We drank them. That's awesome. I don't know if I remember hearing about that or knowing about that in school. I feel like I would have remembered if you were buying beer off of a TV personality. Yeah, I think I I think that was part of it that I had to keep it real, real close. Which you know, I've never been the best at secrets, but I think I had to keep that one. Otherwise, mm-hmm. there there are repercussions beyond uh, you know. I don't want to get my brother embarrassed or anything like that. But um, sure. Yeah, that was that was my first beer hookup. I don't know. We we scav- we scavenged and got booze, you know, any way we could. I remember we went on a camping trip uh andy i think this is my first drinking experience actually um 
Andy Johnson was with. We went on a, a camping trip at uh, what are the cool campsites? The one right next. No, next to Austin. No, I was further away. It was like kind of like a resort uh, in that area. It'll it'll come to me. Anyways, we stole uh, my mom. My mom or my parents had a bottle of a uh, vodka, plastic like pop off vodka, mm-hmm. and it it was like three quarters full. And we took it down to like a third full. So we took out a quite a bit of booze out of it and poured it into an empty squirt bottle and uh, took it with. And we were like, oh, yeah, we just, you know, bringing some sodas in, like do, to do, to do. Yeah. And uh, got caught by my brother because um, we were at, we, were, we got drunk and like they, they caught on to it. I think we were sick the next day. Yeah. Uh, so caught, got caught by my brother. But I'm pretty sure that he, if I remember correctly, they kind of like, had our backs and uh didn't tell my parents Mm -hmm. until until like over a month later my parents had some people over and were making this like frozen margarita like slushy thing that they put in like a you know like an ice cream pail Mm -hmm. and you pour the booze in there and you pour the mix and you stir it up and you put it in the freezer and you can chip away at it as like a slushy well the fact that we had filled the vodka bottle with water when they poured it in, there wasn't alcohol content, so it just froze up like an ice block. So they, they had their party, and they went to chip, and it was, like, frozen rock solid. Oh, no. <laughs> so we got I got double busted. I got busted for my brother and then by my mom, month, like, a month later. Pretty funny. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like we were super resourceful back then, like, wherever we could get it. Um, I had, like, one of the mechanics in our shop would buy it for us sometimes, um, I think, honestly, I think I used Josh Murphy for a while because he looked like he was like 47 and there was that place in Rochester where they would never card regardless. Like, they, you know, it was like Tolius would go in there, Gillis would go in there, Murphy, pretty sure Baker went in there a few times. Those guys all look like older. And then one time I got the balls to go in there by myself and yeah, they didn't card me. Like I, I didn't look, I looked pretty young at the time. I didn't have a beard or anything. And, uh, yeah, I just walked in, bought it, walked out, didn't card. I think that place got shut down, like, shortly after uh, we graduated. But Yeah, that, that place was nuts. I remember exactly where, where you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That was something else. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Pro, pro, prohibition couldn't stop us when we were uh, teenagers. So that's a, that's, a good, that's a good segue into what we're talking about. That's the good segue. Okay. So – I uh, I got really into this, and I've just kind of, like, copied over a bunch of, like, facts that I thought were interesting. Um, so I'll probably just go through them in, like, a pretty um, wishy-washy and non-coherent uh, order. Hope that doesn't bother you. No, that's cool with me. And then uh, I'll try my best to keep quiet, but if there's something you say that I want to uh, expand on, coming at you. Cool. So the idea of banning alcohol in the United States actually started to pick up steam in the 1830s, so 100 years before Prohibition went into effect. Uh, They were talking about banning it or trying to find a way to ban it. So it took 100 years to actually get it done. Uh, I think this is kind of known, but people at the time believed that alcohol was uh, strongly connected to insanity, poverty, spousal abuse. and it kind of like those those negative aspects or what they they thought they could attribute to alcohol. 
formed this larger movement than prohibition called the temperance movement, which temperance basically means like good things in moderation and none of uh, the bad things. Um, and so prior to prohibition, there were states that were trying to enact their own laws. Um, in 1838, Massachusetts created a law that made it possible to buy hard liquor only in large quantities so that working class citizens wouldn't be able to afford it. Um, and then in 19, er, 1846, Maine became the first state to pass a statewide prohibition. Um, and then uh, this encouraged a bunch of other cities, starting kind of on the East Coast, to become dry cities. Wait, so Maine was first. What was the date on that? 1838. 1838. Wow. Or sorry, 1846 was when Maine uh, passed their prohibition law. Okay. Yeah. Still way before it. that. Yeah. I, I learned that too, that I was like, if, you know, federally there was, there was a short window, but there were a lot of states that were adopting policies and, and then didn't abide, abide by the abolishment of it for a long time, but continue. That's, I didn't, I didn't realize it went back that far. Well, um, there was actually a political party called the prohibition party that was formed in 1869 when political advocates grew tired of Republicans and Democrats avoiding the issue. Um, the party platform contended that outlawing alcohol would be the end of social and political corruption. Uh, I don't know how long that party lasted for, but the fact that they felt strongly enough to form their own party kind of talks to what people were thinking at those times. Um, it formed some derogatory terms that people, uh, people in favor and opposed to prohibition would call each other. Basically, wets were the people who opposed prohibition and dries were the people who were in favor of prohibition. Uh, so it kind of segregated people that way. Um, yeah, again, uh, the temperance movement is based around the belief that uh, there's a direct link between alcohol and many antisocial behaviors like child abuse, domestic violence. Um, another uh, famous concern was that Henry Ford believed that alcohol had a negative, a negative impact on labor productivity. Apparently, he thought all of his production line workers were coming to work hungover or drunk or something. Um, and yeah, despite the efforts of anti-prohibition groups, support gathered for the ban on alcohol and Congress passed the 18th Amendment on January 16th of 1919, went into effect in 1920. Um, the amendment prohibited the manufacture, sale, export, import, and transportation of alcoholic beverages, but stopped short of banning possession or consumption. So you couldn't buy it, sell it, or move it anywhere, but if you had it, Apparently that was still legal. Yeah, uh, it, created, it created a ton of loopholes. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if that was just like a verbiage thing or if they wanted to leave some wiggle room there. Um, I'm not sure. Um, so then the next stuff kind of gets into <clears throat> like the uh, bootlegging movement that kind of stems from it, which was basically during the prohibition, people illegally trying to make or get alcohol by any means they could. Um, we talked a little bit about this in the last one, but one of the big uh, bootlegging figures, Al Capone, um, at the peak of success in his quote-unquote business, uh, he was bringing in more than $100 million a year in 1920s. 
which I don't know what that translates to today, but probably in the well into the billions. Yeah, that's that's some crazy that's some crazy money. I wonder how I wonder how accurate that is and how how they measure that because I feel like he had so much control over over the city. Like I feel like everything kind of went through him. So yeah, yeah and I, everything I, was like off the books too. So I don't know how they would even calculate that, but yeah, um, crazy. I thought this one was pretty cool. Um, it became obvious that bootlegging had reached an all-time high when demand for ten thousand dollar bills reached an unprecedented level in 1926. Critics of prohibition recognized this as a telltale sign of large transactions between bootleggers. And so they basically wanted bigger bills so they wouldn't have to carry as much cash around. That's crazy. Um, illegal speakeasies flourished during prohibition. Prior to prohibition, there were fewer than 15,000 legal bars in the United States. Uh, so across the country, 15,000 legal bars. By 1927, there were more than 30,000 illegal speakeasies across the country. And approximately 100,000 people brewed alcohol illegally from home. Yeah, I man, I, th- I think we can clearly say that, I mean, the shit backfired. Like it wasn't... <laughs> It wasn't a good. It wasn't a good plan. Like it didn't. It, it it blew up in their faces. I feel like for for prohibition. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Not only were people just kind of disregarding it, um, but the the enforcement of the Prohibition Act uh, was super un ineffective too. Ineffective. Um, undercover police officers were trying to do their jobs, but the available manpower was still tiny in comparison to the thriving industry. Even when arrests were made, corruption made it nearly impossible to convict anyone. For example, during one time period, more than 7,000 arrests were made in New York for alcohol violations, and only 17 of those ended in convictions. 17 out of 7,000 arrests. Um, Many states eventually grew tired of the hassle. In fact, in 1925, six states had developed laws that kept police from investigating infractions. Cities in the Midwest and Northeast were particularly uninterested in enforcing prohibition. So even though it was a a national rule, they just kind of let it, like, they're like, we can't fight this. Um, Because of all of the kind of back backdoor transactions that were associated with it, it really um, took a hit on the economy, um, just mainly due to like lost tax revenue and, um, you know, the illegal jobs that weren't being taxed or revenue wasn't being reported, things like that. Um, And so a lot of people say that that attributed to the Great Depression, which I didn't know that that was a direct factor leading to that. Um, the Great Depression started in 1929, so right around the time that prohibition was ending. Um, and a lot of that is due to the, the economic issues that stem from bootlegging and, and from prohibition. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting interesting take. I don't know. In your research or looking at it, did that seem like a the consensus of of viewing those? You know, those three decades, like leading into the the 20s with with uh, prohibition. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I read it on multiple sites that kind of said that 
prohibition was a, a major attributing factor to the Great Depression. And so like the I think it's just hard just because it's, you know, such different times. It's hard for us to put in perspective, like what what kind of hit that would have on the economy. But, um, you know, it's it's one of the biggest industries. And so not not taxing any of that revenue. Um, yeah, it's just just took a hit really messed up the U.S. Yeah, I wonder that, that's that was one thing I was trying to uh, get from all this you know, looking into prohibition is like trying to in, imagine what it would be like to live through those times. Um, and then that kind of brings me to like comparison, comparing it to, you know, present day, what we're going through, you know, it's not all, it's not all, uh, you know, dandelions that we're walking through right now, you know, this is kind of a crazy time too. So like comparing the two and like looking at the history of it, like, like what were they, th- like, I don't understand what the thought process was for prohibition or like i understand the thought process and the points you made about the you know the people who were supporting prohibition but like did they put any thought into the rest of it you know of like okay so booze is already out there everyone is already fucking doing it Mm -hmm. so now just because we're going to make it illegal with you know transportation and and stuff you're just creating a a black market it seems like in hindsight all they all they did did they not have any clue that that would be the outcome it just seems I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where like you're, you're so focused on resolving this one specific issue that you don't take time to consider the, the stemming implications from, from making that change. Um, after prohibition, like even today, um, kind of that era or those circumstances have been glamorized a lot by Hollywood um you know there's we kind of know the the main like mobster movies and and movies about al capone um you know public enemy the godfather Uh, but then they also brought up the ones that i didn't really think of things like the dukes of hazard where they kind of glamorize moonshiners and the country folk who, who were doing the same thing but just you know out in the the rural areas um, and then also, I thought this was interesting too. The Great Gatsby um, is like during that time. Um, the um, you know what they call it like the Roaring Twenties style. Um, that that kind of vibe um, is directly tied to to prohibition. Yeah, the uh, fucking the the house parties and the you know we're drinking illegal booze now. Yeah, yeah. I that was a wild time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, pretty crazy. Especially, especially because people had a year. Like, if you had if you had money, you know, you had a year of preparation for, you know, it went into effect the next year. So like, you had a whole year if you wanted to, you know, stockpile or or, you know, invest in. Not even invest wouldn't be the right word, but like, if I just found out a year from now booze is going to be illegal, like, all right, let's gather let's gather some inventory and <laughs> you know try and ride this thing out, you know, if, if you're thinking like a gangster, which, you know, you and I do. Yeah, for sure. On regular, right? <laughs> That's the only way I think. Uh, but yeah, I just, for some reason, I had never like made that connection that that kind of like the Great Gatsby and, and Prohibition, maybe I didn't pay attention enough when I watched the movie or read the book, but. Um, well, here's, here's some good, I'll, I'll go, I'll go into mine when, when you're done, but this is, this is a perfect chance to talk about 
the different things that we don't really connect to prohibition. Um, you talked about the South a little bit, but NASCAR, NASCAR was, was originated and invented due to running moonshine. Like they would have to soup up these cars to be able to outrun the cops when they're running liquor across the South. And that's how, that's how NASCAR started racing cars and souping them up. Really? Did you know, I that? Didn't know that? No. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's uh, if, if you search NASCAR and look at their origin, I mean, it, it stems from, from the days of moonshine and, you know, down here in the South. Is that why uh, it's such a alcohol-endorsed uh, sport? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a redneck, like, good old boy sport. Yeah, yeah, I guess that makes cars sense. Cars racing around. Yeah, I didn't know you didn't realize that one. Here's here's one I found out today. So, uh, speaking of looking back in high school days, um, drinking Mountain Dews, getting hyped up on Mountain Dew. Mm-hmm. That's that's direct moonshine right there. So so Mountain Dew was invented as a chaser for moonshine. Really? Yeah, Knox, Knoxville, Tennessee, about three hours south of here is where where uh, Mountain Dew is invented. And if if back in the day you asked for Mountain Dew, you're getting a shot of fucking white lightning with uh, with a Mountain <laughs> Dew backer. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, think about how sweet that shit is. Like, that's a perfect chaser for a, you know, shot of ethanol. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit, that's crazy. Yeah, I just found that one out today. That was cool. Yeah. Did you know that if you uh, if you mix Mountain Dew and Pepsi, it tastes like Surge? If you drink what Mountain Dew and Pepsi tastes like Surge? Okay. If you mix them you, together. You were living your best life during those Surge days, huh? Dude, I love Surge. Probably explains a lot of my uh, twitchiness today. <laughs> I was going to say, is that the one that got taken off the market? Yeah. God. I, I don't know like how much caffeine was in there, but it, it was probably not safe to be drinking, uh, drank by kids. Yeah, I remember I remember drinking a couple surges uh, back in my day. This was like pre, God, this is probably like fifth, sixth, seventh grade stuff. My dad would always take me in the summertime. He'd always have, have coffee uh at the Senex in Lyle and they'd have like a coffee club where they'd hang out and drink coffee and for a seven eight nine year old I felt like they were there for like eight hours yeah. uh, I don't know how long they were actually sitting there but to the to the to the point where I'd be so bored hanging out that the the cashier lady would uh <coughs> would give me tasks to do so I'd be I'd be there at like eight nine years old like putting stickers on items at the gas station while my dad's there bullshitting for coffee I'm like, why the fuck am I here I could have stayed home <laughs> Just say I don't watch cartoons. This is horseshit. But I remember, I remember the gas station lady would give me a. She'd allow me to get a drink, and I one. Day, I remember one day I had a surge when when my dad wasn't looking and fucking. Yeah. <laughs> off the walls. Yeah, dude. I went, I went home and caused a ruckus. But anyways, go, going off the rails here. Th- th- this is pre. This is pre prohibition for for my life, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so after Prohibition was repealed, it was left up to the states to decide how to govern alcohol consumption. Most states made 21 the legal drinking age, although a handful required drinkers to only be 18. No national drinking age existed until 1984, when the National Minimum Drinking Age Act was passed. Other major catalysts behind the creation of this law was the increase in deaths related to drunk driving. Um... Despite the national repeal of prohibition, hundreds of counties in the United States still enforce dry laws. These laws typically ban the manufacture and uh, manufacture and sale, but not the consumption. 
Um, so there's six counties in Mississippi that are dry. Um, Kentucky has uh, 15 dry counties. Alabama, Arkansas, Texas, Kansas, and Virginia all have uh, dry counties. I actually, I lived in a dry county my first year in Dallas. Um, there weren't any liquor stores. You could still get beer, but if we wanted hard stuff, we'd have to drive to a liquor store like, you know, 15, 20 miles away. That yeah, that's weird. a real, that's a real thing. T- you didn't have Tennessee on your list. Did you say Tennessee? They have 14. Uh, I didn't have Tennessee. No, they have 14. Yeah, so 90, 95 counties in Tennessee, 14 of them are dry. Um, I don't want to hide. I don't want to hijack your flow, but you led right into it. So I was going to talk about Jack Daniels, and I can I can go back to it later. But Jack Daniels Distillery is in a dry county. It's crazy. Just just talking about the different laws and stuff, how they trickle down from federal all the way down to county. Um, I can go back to it if you want to keep flowing. Um, well, yeah, I was just going to say that the other one that kind of, um, hit us was there were also some weird, um, regulations around the sale and consumption at a local level. Um, sometimes they seem contradictory. One other well-common rule restricted the sale of alcohol on Sundays. Um, this law was developed in colonial times to honor the Christian Sabbath day, um, and that was Minnesota up until what, like maybe 10 years ago. I know when we still lived there, um, even when I went back for my second stint at Winona. So that would have been 20, 2013 or like 2015. You still couldn't buy alcohol on Sundays. We'd have to go across the river to Wisconsin. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember Sundays being a thing. I uh, So when I went from Minnesota to, to California, I mean, California, I mean, Wild Wild West, legit. Like they don't give a fuck. Like you can, you can go to the drugstore and get get hard booze. Mm, yeah. Like you can go to CVS and they've got they've got everything. Oh really? Um, yeah, for sure, beer and wine at like every one. But yeah, so you I mean you can get hard booze. It doesn't have to just be a liquor store. Like there's a lot of different storefronts that can sell hard booze. But yeah, I remember that being a thing in Minnesota. Um, and then. Crazy hours too. You can in in California, you can get it all the way up until like one or two a.m. You can buy booze. Yeah. Whereas what what was it in Minnesota? It was like eight p.m. during the week 10, and ten p.m. You can buy it after ten. Every day. I feel like when we were growing up, it was like weekdays was like early, and then nine o'clock, nine or ten on weekends. I thought it was even earlier during the week. Maybe. Um. Yeah, I don't remember for sure. I think those are gone now. I know the Sunday one's gone now. Um, I'm not sure about the, the certain time periods one, but yeah, it's just crazy. Like stuff had stuck with for what, 100 180, 170 years. Yeah, it's crazy. Nuts. No, it, it's not that long. My mouth's wrong. Eight. It's not that long now. It's it's, no, uh, it's like 80. 100 years. 100 years. Yeah. 80. 80 Prohibition started 100 years ago. Yeah, um, I can't math right now. This O'Doul's is really getting to me. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> you, you, how many of you had it back there? About 18? Yeah, I'm putting them back. Uh, at, a half, still, at a half a percent, you can get a buzz. Still not really feeling much yet, but... Um, yeah, so that's that's all I had for, like, national kind of prohibition. I have some other Portland stuff that I can talk about, but... If you well, want to... Yeah, I'll give you a little, little breather, and I'll talk about... Uh, some of the stuff here in Tennessee, but I mean, just in general, 
in doing this research, you just realize how much that it wasn't like when you see the 18th Amendment and you see prohibition, you know, from 1920 to 1933. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so much more than that. It was happening. I mean, you, you opened my eyes to what did you say? 1846 in Maine is when when it kind of started, like, you know, Boozen didn't really get a good uh, introductory start to uh, our society. I feel like we were fucking shit up in the in the early days. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just wild how those laws are still in place and how the effects of it are still here, you know, a hundred years later. Cause uh, in Tennessee, it's all, you know, it was kind of crazy here for, for prohibition too. So 1910 is when they started uh, putting in different policies and, and regulations for, for prohibition. And uh, they didn't lift a lot of things didn't get lifted until just a couple years ago um and didn't start until like 1939 so six years after federally you know prohibition was lifted um but it's very unique country here considering all the moonshine history we have of of moving booze across the state and and distilling you know bourbon and and whiskey um so i didn't get to dive in i mean honestly i feel like i could do months worth of research on on tennessee uh booze and history as far as moonshine and 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 uh, distilling whiskey here in the state. So I've, I definitely have a lot to learn, but um, some unique stuff I found about, about Jack, da- about Jack Daniels. So they, they were one of the leaders um, for getting prohibition as far as distilleries uh, here in the state of Tennessee. They were, they were the leaders at, at pushing the envelope on getting policies changed um, here in the state of Tennessee. But oddly enough, uh, Lynchburg, Tennessee, which is in Moore County, um, They've been dry since since 1910. So Lynchburg, the distillery, is located uh, in that county. So they're able to distill there, but they can't sell. So there's there's weird laws so they can't, in place. So they can't. Have, so Jack Daniels doesn't have a tasting room like at the main distillery. So I did I didn't get the exact uh, wording as far as like how the law got passed, but they said on their website up until recently so within the last few years uh some policy or some law has changed where they're able to do uh you know minimum level minimal level tasting in the distillery they're they're able to sell bottles out of the distillery in the county um but only under and i do air quotes uh commemorative products so like uh, they can't sell a bottle of booze but it's a commemorative it's like a t-shirt or like a souvenir at the gift shop yeah, uh, that they can sell, but it can't be consumed. You know, technically can't be consumed in the county. Um, so yeah, that that's pretty wild. And it got me thinking. I was like, why did this motherfucker decide to put a distillery in a in a dry county that is never going to change? Obviously. Um, but I learned some stuff about Mr. Jack Daniels. So the reason that he picked Lynchburg is uh, because of their they have there's a limestone cave nearby where they get just a pure water source so it was just by kind of luck of his surroundings and his resources that that's where he put up the distillery but uh jack daniels was one of 10 siblings and jack ran away at age seven so this is early 1900s jack ran away at at age seven and kind of a sad sad turn in the story both his mom and dad had passed away when he was seven Uh, his dad passed away in the civil war um and natural causes his mom passed away but anyways th- this article i read said that also 
he he hated his stepmother, so he ran away. <laughs> I guess his dad had remarried, and he hated his stepmother and ran away. So he yeah. ran away at age seven, and uh, and um, oddly enough, or conveniently enough, he was taken in by by a moonshine distiller. Um, he learned his trade from from this guy, and at age sixteen, he bought his first still for twenty five dollars, and uh, created his brand Jack Daniels, and. Uh, you know, set up shop and created created the now empire. But this this dude, he was a runaway kid at age seven and started the company at age sixteen. So, you wow. think about the, uh, you know, the kind of people that were in the booze industry back in those days. You know, it's just kind of a, a strike of good luck in a lot of these guys' cases. So, yeah, I mean, I bet he was he was rubbing elbows with some pretty uh, roughneck folks. Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine so. Um, but yeah, ten- Tennessee, Tennessee has got a lot of history and, uh, you know, obviously Bur- bourbon County and, and, uh, just stealing a lot of bourbon here. So, um, I definitely have lots of, lots of opportunities to learn, um, some different stuff here in the state, but that's all, that's all I really pulled, pulled from this. I did look up, um, those tunnels that I was talking about mm-hmm. here in, in Nashville. So there, there is a tunnel that runs from printer's alley down to the Cumberland, uh, as well as a shit ton of other tunnels that run through Nashville that are kind of, uh, this will be a topic for another time. We ain't got to get too much into it, but they did, they, they do think that these tunnels attributed to, um, you know, a lot of bootlegging and a lot of running booze and moonshine through Nashville, especially right there by the Cumberland river. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going even further back in time, they think these tunnels have been here longer. Uh, and they're part of like an underground railroad where there's a lot of like runaway slaves, uh, that were here in Nashville. Cause there's a lot of connection here in this state, um, for, you know, the civil war go- going back to the, the Confederates versus the union and mm-hmm. Tennessee flipped, Tennessee flipped, um, in the civil war. So there was a lot of traffic coming through here as far as like runaway slaves, um, which is a whole other topic. But, uh, I, I've done a little tunnel research and I'm like kind of shocked at how many, uh, spots around town where they're talking about these tunnels and different things that, uh, you know, they might be attributed to part of our history. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah. That's wild. Um, can you like go tour the tunnels? You can't. No, not here in Nashville. I, I tried to look for it. I went. Uh, so when I made that when I made that drive a couple of years ago back from Alaska, I went through uh, Saskatchewan, and there's a there's a town there called Moose Jaw, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and it's a old Al Capone hideout town. So they took you. They took me on a tour of underground tunnels throughout the city, and you know had the whole thing set up, you know, to the nines with you know telling the history of it. Um, which is really cool, but yeah, no, no, none of these tunnels in, in Nashville are, you know, at least yet, um, able to tour and check out. But I think that'd be really, really cool to uncover that that kind of history, even even if it is a, a dark and sad, history, you know, face the reality of it and, and show it. I think it'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, that'd be dope to see. Um, but this podcast I was listening to, uh, of this distiller here in Tennessee had me, uh kind of piqued my interest he he name dropped a couple of them and I, I wrote them down i haven't had a chance to to do some research and try and find the addresses yet but he was talking about uh old moonshine you know distilleries and pots and, and different hikes and stuff that you can go on to find some stuff so it got me thinking about uh some field trip opportunities yeah that'd be dope because there's still like a ton that are just out either abandoned or 
like maybe some still even running out in the, the Appalachians, right? Yeah, oh, for sure. They got to be out there. I mean, I think you're inheriting some sort of risk by, by going out there, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are uh, probably not the type of people I'd w- want to run into in the woods. Yeah. What uh, what do you got on Portland? You got some good stuff out there? Um, yeah. So, um, I guess I don't know. The I read a couple different articles. I'll read. I have a short one here that I'll read in a second. But around that time, it sounds like uh, Portland was kind of a party town. Um, I guess a lot of uh, East Coast kind of New Englanders would uh, come out to Portland. Uh, it was like a single man's kind of paradise, I guess. Uh, most of the families kind of stayed to their farms. And so it left uh, left room for the town to just be um, kind of like a, I don't know, not like a boys club, but uh, a place for indulgence. Um, I guess prostitution was pretty big out here. Alcohol was big, going up to prohibition, um, and there were just a lot of a lot of vices that would draw young men from the East Coast out to Portland. Um, and so another thing I guess I didn't really realize is there's a lot of implication with um, prohibition tied to women's suffrage, um, because I think a lot of the push for banning alcohol was coming from women, uh, at least in Portland. Um, there was a huge uh, huge, well, there's a couple of groups, but uh, there's a huge group called the um, Anti-Saloon League that was largely uh, made up of women, and they were trying really hard to um, to get prohibition in place for, for Portland and for Oregon. Um, and so the uh, Oregon's prohibition actually started, they passed the law in 1914, and it went into effect in 1916, so four years before national prohibition. Um, I have a, I have an article here by Jeff Stuckey from 2018 that I'll read through. It's pretty quick. Um, basically, the long struggle for passage of alcohol prohibition was bound up with the long struggle for women's suffrage. Opponents of prohibition knew that once women got the right to vote, they would work to restrict the consumption of alcohol. Excessive drinking among the working class was associated with the inability to keep a job and support a family, as well as the abuse of spouses and children. In 1904, when the Local Option Act passed in Oregon, women of the Anti-Saloon League began working county by county to turn the state dry. Uh, ESJ McAllister, an attorney, recently arrived in Portland, became a regional organizer of the Anti-Saloon League. Um, he was later involved in scandals um, that kind of set that league back a little bit. Uh, but women won the right to vote in 1912, and as predicted, statewide prohibition passed in 1914. So, like, as soon as women got the right to vote out here, uh, like two years later, prohibition went into effect. Um, go ahead. That- well, that that saloon league stuff, I, I did do a little bit of reading about that. Um, are those are those date right, dates right? Did that happen before? So we're, we're state able to pass women's right to vote before federal. I guess that would be how that worked because ten, Tennessee Tennessee was the was the final state, so they needed a three quarter vote to pass the Nineteenth Amendment ending women's suffrage, and that took place here in Nashville. Um, 
and they Nashville Tennessee was the, the was the final state needed the 36 out of the 48 states at the time uh, to pass it and Tennessee was the final final one but that was in that was in 1920 um, I wonder if states were able to not to fact not to fact check your article but I was just looking at the uh, you bringing up the women's suffrage thing and also the anti saloon league so the saloon league got you know they they just shoveled a ton of ton of blame on the problem uh, to the saloons, which rightfully so. I mean, back in that time, they were, you know, your, your bartender, like they, they would allow you to have, you know, collateral on things, you know, like the bartender was the law in a lot of, in a lot of ways, as far as like having debt and stuff. So they would, they created the anti-saloon league in, in an effort to kind of battle, uh, you know, the bartenders and the saloon owners who would, you know, have people would have debt to them, you know, for, for drinking, you know, for not being able to pay for booze, like, oh, you can, you know, run up a tab. So they, they began to have a big problem with that too. And then when you talk about the women's involvement, you know, all these drunk guys going home to their, their women with no fucking money and they're going to lose the house because they're drinking so much. Yeah. I mean, power to the women, man. I think they, they were at least took us in the right step of, you know, fixing the problem. I, I, I see the issue on, on prohibition, but certainly the answer wasn't uh, wasn't to just let it be a free for all. You know, as far as yeah, yeah. I mean, that's sure. all. That's all. Pro to me, that's the that's the uh, you know the summary of prohibition is like shit backfired. It wasn't the way they thought it was going to work out. Um, but super interesting topic, man. I didn't I didn't anticipate. Uh, to uncover as much as we did as far as, you know, kind of uh, understand, an understanding. Yeah, no, I, I got a little bit more. It gets, this oh, gets yeah, a little wilder. Um, oh. So, yeah, back to your question. It said Oregon women won the right to vote in 1912. So maybe that was just in state, like state voting, uh, because then state prohibition passed in 1914. Uh, but city councilman George Baker ran for the mayor of Portland in 1917 and won on a platform of getting tough on crime, uh, specifically bootlegging and labor radicals uh, while supporting business elites and the patriotic cause of the involvement in World War One. Um, amidst the distraction of all these issues, Baker's police chief, Leon Jenkins, set about taking control of bootlegging and run, run, rum running while staging frequent, well-publicized raids to convince the public that the police were enforcing anti-liquor laws. Only a fraction of the confiscated booze was publicly disposed of, while behind the scenes, the majority of it was stored in the police central precinct evidence room and secretly distributed to Mayor Baker and his friends and a network of officially, quote unquote, approved speakeasies um, that were allowed to operate while the police took payoffs to look the other way. Um, so it was uh, it was just as corrupt as, as some of the other parts of this of the country. Um, so when pro so when prohibition became national law in 1920, Portland had a head start in mastering the management of illegal speakeasies. Um, and then just one other snippet that I kind of found interesting too. The Canadian cities of Vancouver and Victoria had a long trade history with the city of Portland, specifically in the smuggling of Chinese opium in the 1890s. So when prohibition became law, it was opportune to switch from opiates to bonded whiskey. And so we would get whiskey smuggled in from Canada. Um, while Portland gained the reputation for strong enforcement of anti-liquor laws in, in 1922, it became the prime distribution point for bonded liquor, 
With the police stranglehold on the supply, the price of whiskey in Portland was one of the highest in the nation. The wealthy and well-connected were making a killing, while the showy raids and arrests of low-level drinkers and distributors were putting working-class citizens in jail and keeping the public's approval. And so basically they were just you know, doing these big show raids and would confiscate a bunch of booze and then just keep it at police HQ and give it to the mayor and his buddies. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, dude. Talk about corruption. Like, I, it's it's so weird to, to hear about that. And you know that stuff like that, well, not to this extent, but there's corruption that still goes on today. Um, but just like hearing it spelled out like that and actually talking through it makes it just seem that much more real and that much more wild. Yeah, what a crazy time. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see, but I'm glad I didn't have to give up alcohol for an extended period of time. Well, that's why I was tr- I was trying to to compare it to the cannabis situation of present day, but I, I was having a I was having a difficult time tying the two together because they're both they're both just so complex and different uh, of issues. But I, I've, I certainly saw some similarities too. Yeah, it's almost like an inverse where uh, cannabis has like started off illegal and then state by state they're starting to legalize it. Whereas for prohibition it was legal. And then state by state, they started to illegalize it. Uh, well, I wonder what that period was like before cannabis was illegal, because it wasn't always illegal. And that's I a mean, whole, that's a, I feel like that's a whole nother uh, research topic, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, what, do you know when it became illegal? I don't know. I mean, I, I've. I've heard I've heard some things, but I can't say anything factually. Um, I know there's a lot of propaganda involved in uh, criminalizing cannabis. You know, mar- marijuana is a derogatory term from propaganda. I know. Um, this one says the marrow, and the, it, I don't know. This is Wikipedia, so I don't know if it's right, but the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. They spelled marijuana wrong. Um, so it was being taxed previously in the U.S., which I didn't know, um, and then it was officially outlawed for any use in 1970. And so, yeah, I guess, I don't know what it would have been like before 1970. I mean, you see, uh, I guess that 70s show would have been right after it was made illegal. Well, maybe, maybe that's our... Next topic or, or down the line topic is a little bit of a, you know, factual mar- marijuana history and not, uh, you know, the story the story that was told to us about <laughs> what marijuana was when we were teenagers. <laughs> yeah, no, that's. I true. did. I did listen to that that podcast that I sent you. I re-listened to it a little bit, and I'll, I'll just touch on it a little bit because it freaked me out because I was I was looking for ways to find correlation between you know, alcohol prohibition, um, and what we're going through now, but this podcast freaked me out, dude. So this John Flores guy is a game warden in California. I think it's Riverside County where he operates. Okay. And he's written a couple books and, uh, I'll find the names for you and send them to you, but check out that podcast I sent you. Um, it's a Joe Rogan, uh, John Flores podcast. I think it's 1304 or something. Um, but anyways, he was a game warden in Southern California and he took a call uh, from this farmer 
this is the first instance that he found. Uh, he took this call from a farmer about the the stream that ran on this guy's property. The the it wasn't a river, but it was a, a creek bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like one one day dried up. Like he he walked out there uh, one day and it was like, wow, this the, the stream's no longer here. It's dry. It's dried up. So he called the game warden to go investigate and check it out. And the game warden went out with uh, I think an intern and like one other person. Um, went on on a hike to try and figure out, you know, what happened. Like they assumed it was just a local farmer, a nearby farmer who diverted a water source or, you know, any, any list of things. Uh, but they went out there, investigated and found, uh, cartel members like loaded, loaded to the, to the teeth in in artillery and and guns that were, uh, protecting a grow site on, on public land in California. And, that that was the start of this dude's story, and this was back in two thousand, I think seven. Uh, so he's written a couple books about it. But uh, th- this guy says that there's twenty seven states in the U.S. where there's cartel members that are either on public or private land that have grow sites that that they've discovered. So he he said he's arrested over a thousand people in the last ten years, cartel members who are who are on illegal grow sites, uh, and he cons- very conservatively says estimates that there that there's 10 to 20,000 cartel members on on US soil growing weed which is one problem within itself but the biggest thing about it and from this guy's perspective as a game warden is the environmental effects because they're using pesticides that are illegal here in the US they're bringing pesticides from from Mexico and spraying it on these plants to protect them from everything Mm-hmm. And just the uh, environmental runoff. Well, one, the environmental rent runoff that comes from these crazy potent pesticides. And uh, two, the fact that we might have been smoking some of this weed. So, like, this weed's got <laughs> crazy, crazy pesticides on it. Probably not great to be inhaling into my lungs. Yeah. And, you know, potentially. So does he talk about that problem going away, like, for states that have legalized it? Because now I know in Oregon, like with it being legal, like there's a, a few large in-state farms, but I, I can't imagine there's that much demand for like the back alley kind of off the books weed. Like you can just go get a, a gram for like 10 bucks at a, any dispensary. Yeah, bro. You're in a fucking, you're in a legal state. Like how many, how many of well, the that's states- what I'm saying. Does he, does he talk about like that minimizing the, the cartel presence in those states? Uh, yeah. I mean, he does touch on that. Um, I mean, it's just going to take, it's going to take a lot of work, even, you know, it's going to take a lot of time, even, even if we were to legalize it, you know, next year and and have a mainstream market of like regulated farmers and regulation in place for, you know, for, for growing and selling. I I don't know what the, I don't know what the verbiage or what it looks like, you know, constructing the, the legalities of, you know, making cannabis legal, but, um, I mean, he, he just claims there's just a ton of them. So I, I feel like there's going to be an opportunity for that black market until, you know, a couple of years down the line when it's legalized. But anyways, yeah. that, that was one that was one correlation I found to like, you know, compare these guys, which, uh, you know, cartel members kind of sucks that they're on U.S. soil growing weed here. <laughs> but, you know, comparing them to like the, you know, the moonshiners who had homebrew kits and shit, you know. Yeah. A problem that we're dealing with on a different level, I guess. I, I didn't. I, I was shocked by that podcast. I was like, damn, that's crazy that, you know, because they're out there for, they're out there for months at a time. These cartel members, like they're camping out there 
growing and, and protecting the the crop so like they're living under undercover for months at a time just out of public eye yeah i mean they talked they talked he talked about different like traps and stuff they have set up and you know it's it's no joke <laughs> it's like crazy he, yeah, he said it's he's, wild he's, been, do- he's been in six he's been in six gunfights in the last 10 years jesus yeah, yeah, that that surprised me that he's like made that many arrests. If I was out there with myself and a fucking intern, and I saw a bunch of cartel dudes all, all gunned up, I'd just be yeah, like, yeah, these are geez. game wardens, dude. This guy doesn't <laughs> yeah. sign up for the shit. Not the SWAT team, for Christ's sake. Yeah, he's talking about how how you know, out out man, outgunned and outman they are. Like they don't have enough people to do the normal shit of like you know following deer tags and shit. Now they're dealing with cartel members. It's, yeah, it's crazy <laughs> stuff. Give, give it a listen if you got some spare time this week, because it, it may, maybe it'll uh, jumpstart us for our next research topic. But Yeah, and, for sure. I'll, I'll download it and uh, hit it on the plane tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Airplane. Dude, you're Denver bound. Denver bound. I'm, uh, I'm stoked. It'll be interesting. Uh, my buddies are, or the, my buddy and his friend are texting back and forth, and it sounds like, yeah, my buddy's going to be out. So you get to go spend Valentine's Day weekend uh, with... Uh, friend of a friend all right that's not that, it, 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 that'll be fine man so are you flying into denver yeah yep okay okay so you, you'll see the city then yeah least. yeah we'll get to drive through it and then i think we're just heading straight out of town to uh to copper we're staying right there so i think it's like an hour drive i'll get to see the the western side and kind of the trek out to the mountains um probably be dark by the time we get heading that way but uh, should be pretty cool. I'm stoked. Still got a pack. Yeah, you'll fi- you'll figure it out. Just a backpack, right? Oh, backpack. Yeah, and then I'm gonna shove everything else in my snowboard bag. Um, that'd be cool. I wish I could join you. I'm definitely uh, I'm in I'm in Denver every day at at some point. You know, I daydream about being being in the city and planning for this move. And we're looking for houses all the time. So yeah. <clears throat> yeah for sure well i'll plan a trip after you get out there and, and settled did, uh, uh, did we do everything we did the beer review we don't have any sports to to make picks on yeah i think we covered it um do you have anything normally we call out next week's research topic the the week before do you want to lock something in for next week oh man this is on the on the spot. I mean, all all that I really had was talking about, uh, you know, the correlation of prohibition to to maybe a little bit of cannabis history. I, w- I wouldn't be opposed to doing that. Let's. Uh, we just did a history one. Let's do. Uh, let's do a current event. We'll do something related to global warming because, like I said, there's a lot of stuff that's being put in place now to kind of undo some things that were done last term. Um, I, I like global warming in general is going to be too broad of a topic, but just plan on us talking about something uh, related to, to global warming. Does that work? That we works. With, 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 offline. with, uh, with a focus on um, positivity and not getting in a mental <laughs> funk about the world coming to an end. Yeah. We'll promise, our, we'll promise that. We're going to do our best not to uh, depress ourselves. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, that actually brings up a good point. After I get back from this trip, like I said, I've been slacking over the holidays, so I'm gonna go back on uh, keto next week, and so I'll be doing cannabis reviews instead of beer reviews. 
And so uh, I'll be in a, a much happier state of mind. Uh, so we can we can talk about global warming without getting super bummed. Uh, that's great. Get get ready for four hour podcast, guys. We're about to <laughs> blaze up and talk all night. This thing's about to get a lot a lot dumber. <laughs> Damn, you're about to do you're about to do some sort of diet and workout thing. Yeah, you want to join? No, no, I don't. I'll do my <laughs> I'll do my own thing. I'll do my own thing, but uh, I'm not. Maybe I'll learn about keto. I'll, I'll 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 browse and check it out. But no, I'm not committing to to things of such sort. All right, that's fair enough. Um, but yeah, I figured I could do it the same way. Like I could just go grab a gram from the dispensary, and I have like a little packs thing that I can just light up right here and call it a day. Must be nice. I, I gotta I gotta hit up a guy about another guy to uh, get some real shitty weed that mixed with alfalfa. <laughs> Well, a couple more months, you'll have uh, dispensaries in your backyard. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Um, and any any family members that are listening, obviously, I'm just kidding. I don't I don't smoke marijuana. So there's no way there's no way you're gonna get <laughs> get away with that anymore. <laughs> Those dreams are over, dude. Uh, uh, all right. Let's let, let's let's get let's get off the record. Um, excited for next week. That'll be good uh hear about your hear about your trip and your your valentine's day uh your new valentine's day crush that'll be exciting (laughs) yeah dude sounds good i'm excited to see how it goes all right people thanks for stopping by we will catch you next week cheers cheers y'all peace